From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's program, CAM in ophthalmology. Those products may be the source of the patient's uh, ocular complaints. Uh, They may be the source of uh, the hemorrhages we're seeing inside of the eye in the case of ginkgo. Um, And we're also not going to uh, be prepared to have patients uh, discontinue medications, um, alternative medications that may interfere with some of the prescription medications we're giving patients or may interfere potentially uh, during surgery on the eye. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. West declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Later this week, I'll podcast our first video program. If you have one of the new video iPods, you're all set. If you don't, and you download a scene from here through iTunes, make sure you're using version 6 or above. If you don't use iTunes, you can still watch the program using QuickTime, a free download from Apple. By the way, I'll be talking about podcasting at Ascaris this month. Come and meet me at Session 1H on Saturday afternoon, March 18th. There is a place where people use herbs and root extracts to treat ophthalmic pathologies. Of course, that place is the United States, and the people using these medicaments are our patients. The issue is not only that these substances may not be producing the desired result, but that they may be producing a range of poorly characterized effects. To sort this all out for us, we have Adrian West, who has just published a paper on Complementary and Alternative Medicine, or CAM, in the American Journal of Ophthalmology. What constitutes complementary and alternative medicine? Well, uh, yeah, complementary and alternative medicine, you'll usually see the two terms together, but they are actually two separate things. Complementary medicine uh, refers, well, complementary and alternative medicine together uh, refer to um, basically a group of diverse medical healthcare systems, practices, products, etc., that are not typically considered to be part of conventional medicine as we know it in the Western hemisphere. Now, complementary medicine is when a patient uses these products in addition to our conventional medicine, and alternative medicine is when a patient is using these uh, practices in place of conventional medicine. They're in general different products, right? I mean, there there are products that are specific, that are are meant to be complementary, and 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 products that are meant to be instead of allopathic medicine. Well, I I think yes and no. I think um, first of all, not all of these things are products. Uh, things such as massage therapy, um, group therapy. Um, energy fields, <laughs> all of these different things fall into the uh, title of complementary and alternative medicine. Some, sometimes some of these are intended to just altogether replace traditional medicine, and other patients may be uh, visiting physicians at a traditional hospital like uh, here at the University of Michigan and seeking these things outside of our care, um, trying to uh, hopefully gain some additional benefit to what they're receiving here. Presumably, as ophthalmologists, the uh, category that that we're most concerned with, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, are the the herbals and the dietary supplements. 
is, is that right? How are, how are herbals and dietarily supplements monitored? Well, in this country, they are not particularly well monitored. Um, as, as you know, uh, what we consider prescription medications must have approval by the FDA, uh, but these products do not require that, and up until pretty recently, they had been ignored uh, by the government and its agencies. Um, in 1994, uh, the Dietary Supplement and Health Education Act was passed, and these products now require uh, the following statement uh, in, in quote, quotations here. These products and these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Consult a healthcare professional before using these or any product during pregnancy or if you have a serious medical condition. Um, so anytime you pick up one of these products, it should be labeled this way. Uh, and that basically gets them off the hook of having to uh, provide any supporting evidence for their use or their safety. What claims can a dietary supplement make? Well, uh, they typically will have rather broad claims such as for eye health um, or for um, stomach health, <laughs> things like that. Uh, for chronic pain, uh, but they are not allowed to have statements such as this uh, medication is uh, to lower blood sugar in diabetics. Or prevent cataracts or something well, like that. Yes, I think that is the intention, although I have to say I have seen patients present in clinic with products that say that on the label. Really? Yes. In the paper, you, you describe a huge growth in this market through the 1990s. Why do you think that that happened, and why then? Well, I think a few different reasons. Um, we, we know that the media, uh, in particular, has become a much more prominent part of society. Uh, people have easy access to the Internet. Uh, there was an opening up of advertising on uh, television, uh, for healthcare products, medications, etc. So I think all of that just, um, you know, we're, as a society, we're constantly bombarded uh, by advertisements. We have easy access to these things, and it gets people, you know, people are interested in it. Watch, younger people are watching their parents age. Uh, I think we have become, as a society, increasingly aware of aging-related diseases. And those of us who are already up into those older ages, of course, and uh, facing these diseases ourselves, we wish to uh, slow down and perhaps even prevent uh, progression of these diseases. So we know uh, in general that a lot of aging diseases are not yet curable with conventional medicine, and I think people then are therefore turning to these other products hoping that they may um, somehow uh, beat Mother Nature and uh, come out ahead. Do you have a sense of how many people use dietary supplements? Well, in a study uh, by Eisenberg, um, he found uh, around, by the end of his study in 1997, 42% of the U.S. population uh, used uh, complementary and alternative medicine. He did a follow-up study uh, several years later um, that showed that this level had remained about stable. You know, still, that's a huge number. Yeah. Uh, can I get you to uh, talk, talk a little bit about Fraunfelder's study? Uh, sure. Well, um, I, I think um, in, prior to discussing his study, one important thing for us to recognize is that we know, uh, as we just talked about how many patients or how many people in the United States are using these products, but we have other studies that show many patients don't tell us they're using these products. 
And that's why Dr. Fraunfelder has presented his study. Uh, we need to be inquiring of patients if they're using these products. They have serious side effects. In particular, in an ophthalmology clinic, uh, some of the products patients come in using specifically for their eyes include the uh, antioxidant vitamins. Uh, we know that vitamin E can increase a patient's risk of bleeding. Uh, we know that ginkgo, uh, which patients are consuming frequently f uh, for macular degeneration and for glaucoma, uh, also increases the risk of bleeding. Uh, he uh, has re uh, case reports in his paper of patients with spontaneous hyphema uh, while using uh, ginkgo. Niacin has been associated with cystoid macular edema, and niacin is uh, certainly not the most common product patients are using these days for uh, hyperlipidemia, but it is still a product that many patients uh, use as part of their regimens. Essentially, these are, are uh, products people are using to treat very common diseases, and um, we do need to be aware of these possible side effects. Uh, your um, paper deals with the, um, the efficacy of these medications in treating eye pathologies. What sort of claims have been made? Uh, what, what pathologies have been named as ones that are targeted by these, by these medications? Yes. Well, I, I uh, think that the most common um, eye diseases uh, we think of uh, in relation to alternative, medication, alternative medicine uh, would include age-related macular degeneration, uh, cataracts, and glaucoma. Uh, we, in our, in our paper, also reviewed evidence for diabetic retinopathy, but I think we see fewer claims with regards to that disease. And the uh, pathologies that, that you chose to, to study, you uh, chose on the basis of these, uh, uh, these, these claims being, being made? Actually, we chose these uh, for that reason, in addition to the fact that these are um, the most common diseases right now in the United States uh, leading to uh, visual problems. What are the AAO guidelines for levels of evidence? What, what does that mean? Uh, yes. The uh, AAO has published uh, these guidelines uh, with levels of evidence rating between 1 and 3, uh, with a level 1 study being the, a study of the most significant power uh, results that we should pay attention to. Uh, level 2 studies are intermediate, and level 3 are studies that perhaps may be interesting, but the results need to be questioned. Uh, level 1 studies uh, have the following components. Uh, they have a design that allows the issue uh, in question to actually be addressed within the study. Uh, the study population indeed reflects the population that is uh, of interest to us in the study. Uh, they're executed in such a way that we should be obtaining accurate and reliable data from the study. And the statistical analysis itself uh, uses appropriate methods. Uh, so in short, these studies have very strong evidence to support statistically significant results or perhaps to show no difference in spite of the fact that the study was designed appropriately. So the, these are things like randomized clinical trials with a, with a large patient base? Correct. Like Correct. What we would consider these days the gold standard study. Correct. Cohort studies um, or studies that have long-term follow-up sometimes also fit into this category. Uh, level 2 has most of the same components, um, but it may, uh, if a study fits into the level two category of evidence, they may lack one or more of the components so that it's not quite up to the same 
uh, level. So uh, a randomized clinical trial in which they looked at just a very select patient population instead of a broad patient population, for instance, um, studies where the statistical significance is indeed present, but it's pretty borderline. It just, it just makes it to be statistically significant. Perhaps studies where patient compliance is suboptimal or the follow-up in the group of patients being studied is suboptimal. They lose a lot of patients to follow up throughout the study. Um, consecutive case series, when they study a large number of patients, but they, again, are just case series. They, they aren't um, necessarily, again, fulfilling all of the criteria that we would achieve in a randomized clinical trial. Uh, case reports, case series can be very well done, but again, they're not randomized trials with uh, control groups and uh, long, uh, necessarily long-term follow-up. Level three, uh, these studies in general lack uh, most of the attributes that we're seeing in the level one studies. Uh, therefore, you cannot reach any valid conclusion from the study. So, for instance, we talked about in our paper here a lot of the uh, herbal studies. Well, they, they may sound interesting, but when you read them, they have maybe 20, uh, 20 patients enrolled. So studies that just don't have enough patients to really make any statistical uh, determinations, uncontrolled case series, cohort studies in which patients are followed up for uh, greatly variable periods of time, chart reviews that just review a, a very small proportion of patients with a given disease, and, of course, randomized clinical trials in which the examiners are not masked uh, to the patients. Let's talk, talk about now the particular pathologies that, that, you, that you studied, and let's start out with macular degeneration. Well, this is uh, the area probably with the most studies. Um, we have epidemiologic studies uh, under this category, the Beaver Dam Eye Study, the Blue Mountains uh, Eye Study. Uh, those are uh, both large studies. We also have numerous prospective clinical trials, and I think most notably uh, for ophthalmologists at this time is the age-related eye disease study, ARIDS, mm -hmm. uh, the vitamin E cataract and age-related maculopathy trial, otherwise known as VCAT, uh, the alka-tocopherol beta-carotene study, uh, the Women's Antioxidant and Cardiovascular Study, which is still ongoing. Uh, and that is part of the Women's Health Study. It's been added on. So we're, uh, results there are still pending. Um, but, yeah, we have quite a few studies uh, under this category. And what are these studies showing us about these supplements and, and macular degeneration? Yeah. Well, I think in general, what we see in all of our categories is that from one study to the next, we do get variable results. However, the gist under macular degeneration is that we are seeing some positive association with the antioxidant vitamins, uh, specifically vitamins A, E, and C, and in addition, the mineral zinc, uh, in reducing some of the characteristics associated with macular degeneration um, or um, progression of the disease. Uh, we see that in the epidemiologic study, the Beaver Dam eye study, um, the Blue Mountains Eye Study, unfortunately, did not show the similar associations, but the very well done, very large ARIDS study is showing a reduction in the risk of progression of moderate macular degeneration when patients are consuming these products over an extended period of time. For patients who initially have moderate macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. 
not in patients who don't have it. That is correct, yes. This study, of course, is still ongoing. The initial data was published uh, just over three years uh, into Mm -hmm. collecting data, and they have patients uh, subdivided based upon the signs of the disease at the time of enrollment in the study. They do have patients who initially enrolled with normal retinal examinations or early signs of macular degeneration. And that group of patients, those groups of patients are still being followed uh, to gather long-term data. Uh, I think um, the big question here is, in the long run, will these patients truly benefit? And have we just not followed them for a long enough period of time to see those changes uh, occurring to separate out whether or not patients consuming these products truly benefit uh, relative to those taking placebo. To contrast the story with with macular degeneration, what is the evidence that these sort of supplements are are beneficial with regard to cataracts? Yes, the cataract data is pretty equivocal at this time. Uh, We have, again, in this category, many studies. Uh, Several of these are observational studies. And observational studies, um, unfortunately, uh, lack a certain amount of control because they, uh, within these studies, they have uh, asked patients to recall their dietary history perhaps just over a 24-hour period or over a several-month period. Uh, So they're relying on patient reports. Uh, They also uh, sometimes are not using consistent criteria for the diagnosis of cataract or the progression of cataract. Um, So the studies are all going to be limited by that. Um, But we are, as we review these studies and review the prospective trials, we see that some studies find a benefit perhaps to a multivitamin and vitamin A, as in the uh, Australian Blue Mountains Eye Study, uh, but no benefit to vitamin C or E. We have other studies um, that show, oh yes, vitamin E is quite helpful, as in the Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging. By the time you sort through all of our studies, though, it appears that most studies are not consistent in showing a benefit to any particular antioxidant vitamin. Uh, Multivitamins perhaps are helpful. There is some evidence of that in a couple of the studies, including the Blue Mountains Eye Study again, and interestingly, the Lynxian Cataract Study. This study is special. They looked at Uh, patients in a nutritionally deprived area of China. And those patients were given multivitamins and had a very significant 36% decrease in the development of nuclear cataracts when treated over a six-year time frame. But uh, we need to know, is that simply in a uh, patient population that's nutritionally deprived or is that representative of the average American? I think we'll have an answer to that in the near future Uh, There is a study underway now, the Italian-American clinical trial, in which they're looking at the consumption of the multivitamin Centrum. Uh, So these patients will be consuming the U.S. RDA allowance for all of these um, products uh, over an extended period of time. So hopefully we have an answer. So what what is the um, um, evidence that these supplements are or are not beneficial uh, with regard to diabetic retinopathy? Yeah. Well, as it stands, we have no evidence in support of uh, any of the vitamin therapies or the herbal therapies. Studies, uh, as they now stand, are epidemiologic studies. 
Um, and again, one of those is a 24-hour dietary recall. Uh, so that study is a limited study. It's asking, it's suggesting that what a patient has consumed in the past 24 hours truly represents that patient's long-term diet. But other similar studies, uh, dietary recall, et cetera, are not showing any particular benefit to these products. Finally, what's the evidence that these supplements are of any benefit in, in patients with, with glaucoma? Yes. With glaucoma, uh, we don't have uh, any major studies uh, looking at it uh, with, with vitamins. Um, the nurses' health study and the professional's health study uh, uh, basically took a quick glance at the uh, risk of primary opening glaucoma and antioxidant consumption um, by um, assessing with a food frequency questionnaire whether or not patients had the disease or not. They did not uh, find any association, and that was really the end of <laughs> their data. No other studies um, meet level one or level two criteria for this disease. Now, uh, interestingly, with glaucoma, uh, we do have more interest in this uh, disease uh, with some of the herbal medications. Uh, but again, um, ginkgo is, is one, of course, that comes to mind. Uh, ginkgo has been suggested as um, being healthful for the optic nerve uh, because it's known to increase ophthalmic artery blood flow. The ophthalmic artery, of course, does not supply the optic nerve itself. Uh, that blood supply comes from the short, ciliary, uh, short posterior ciliary arteries. Um, however, because ginkgo is known to improve blood flow, uh, people have surmised that perhaps it is helpful to the optic nerve uh, to take ginkgo. Uh, but there are no large studies that provide any evidence of this. Uh, bilberry is another commonly consumed product for the eyes, and um, some patients use it specifically for the treatment of glaucoma. Again, this is a product that just really lacks any studies that are well done uh, with any significant patient numbers and uh, showing any evidence of benefit to the eye. But but it has an has an interesting background to it. Can I get you to? It to, certainly to talk does. About? Yes, uh, bilberry uh, came into common use for ocular benefit. Um, going back to World War II, the British Royal Air Force pilots apparently were rather fond of consuming a good dose of bilberry jam um, prior to their uh, flights, and they were uh, they just swore that it helped them see better at night. Their night vision was improved. Um, but simultaneously, uh, the British uh, Air Force had introduced radar technology, and as subsequent studies have not really shown any particular benefit for bilberry on improving night vision and nighttime contrast sensitivity, more than likely it was the actual use of radar that was helping these pilots see their targets and fly home safely rather than the uh, bilberry consumption. But, right, uh, so the, 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 the bottom line is, is that, a, that a dietary supplement and, and radar can, can help you find planes. Um, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so look, what, what, what can you tell me about complementary and alternative medicine studies generally? Well, I think um, it's an area of medicine that we need more research in. Um, you, can, you can tell from the information I've given you, we are sorely lacking in any consistent answers from these studies. And we have a huge percentage of our population consuming these products. We have an aging population who is going to, is going to continue to seek out more ways to slow down aging diseases and to prevent them altogether. 
why are there not gold standard, you know, large population randomized double blind pro- prospective studies yes. in in CAM? Well, it's a these studies of course are not only complicated to perform but they're expensive to perform. And when you talk about vitamin and herbal uh, medications and supplements, you're talking about products that are pretty readily available. You, you can walk into a store and pick them up over the counter and they are inexpensive. We know that the majority of money is, uh, from uh, the private sector uh, is going to be directed at products that they ultimately can make a profit from. Uh, as uh, Congress uh, has had to cut back on um, allocating money to the National Institutes of Health uh, for federally sponsored grants, et cetera, more and more of our research funding is coming from the private sector. So we are, I think, seeing a, a dramatic shift in developing products um, towards things that are potentially um, going to be more uh, able to generate profits uh, in the long run. So it's doubtful, I think, that we will be seeing excellent studies on a lot of these products in the future. How uh, widely accepted is CAM in formal medical training? Well, I, I, speaking for myself, we learned very little about it. Uh, I graduated from medical school in 1995, but in the last several years, numerous medical schools have uh, incorporated uh, CAM into their curriculums. Um, I, if I recall, um, I believe I... I believe the number is about 40 of the allopathic medical schools in the U.S. Um, now had uh, some formal teaching uh, during their training. Now, he, here, here I think is the, the bottom line question. What do you do in your own practice? Yes. Well, I think, uh, again, the goal of our paper is just in general to raise awareness among ophthalmologists. And we need to be aware of the products because we need to ask patients if they're consuming these products. Um, If we don't know that patients are consuming products, uh, we are not going to uh, think about that those products may be the source of the patient's uh, ocular complaints. Uh, They may be the source of uh, the hemorrhages we're seeing inside of the eye in the case of ginkgo. Um, And we're also not going to uh, be prepared to have patients uh, discontinue medications, um, alternative medications that may interfere with some of the prescription medications we're giving patients or may interfere potentially uh, during surgery on the eye. So we need to uh, be aware, uh, ask patients, because patients are known to not come, uh, come forth with this information on their own. Adrian, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Adrian West is a clinical instructor at the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the University of Michigan Kellogg Eye Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Her paper, Evidence for the Use of Nutritional Supplements and Herbal Medicines in Common Eye Diseases, appears in the January 2006 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. West or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website 
as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.